Hey everybody, it's Cynthia Sam here. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within and welcome to uh, really what is our first taste of the VIP experience uh, of an interview. So for those of you who don't know, we've been talking about this on the podcast lately. We are offering a VIP experience so any members of our community are allowed to sit in on our interviews and then stick around for a Q&A session with the guest afterwards. And um, we're also going to roll this out as a subscription. So maybe you don't want to do our programs, but you just want to get the VIP access that comes with uh, email coaching from me and a, a monthly call and you know a bunch of other stuff. Um, and anyway, we just tested it out. This was kind of our first time doing it with uh, our members. And man, we had so much fun. Uh, it was a great interview for starters. Um, we have Sean Bonito, and uh, I'm going to read his bio here in a minute. But um, it was honestly just, just amazing to hear like the questions that guys had and, uh, and to see the way Sean was just connecting with them um, and really speaking, speaking directly into some guys' situations in a really powerful way. Um, it was so cool. So I'm so glad we did this. And I think you are going to be really, really blessed by this interview with Sean. Um, he is the first person that we've really had on the podcast to talk specifically about erectile dysfunction. And the statistics are pretty clear that this is a growing issue. Uh, it's, it's quite likely that at least 25% of you have struggled or are struggling with erectile dysfunction, probably more. And um, this is a great chance for you to just understand some of the origins of it, um, to kind of see how porn consumption interplays with an experience of erectile dysfunction, in addition to kind of the psychological factors and, and other things. And um, I'm just really excited to, to dig into this. Um, Sean is an open book. I think, unfortunately, that's become like very classic conjecture in our society. Everyone's like, yeah, I'm an open book, da 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 da. But um, not everybody is as open as maybe they present themselves to be. Uh, Sean is. Sean is just, um, he was so candid, shared some really useful personal experiences, and I think you're going to get a lot of value out of this. So, um, without further ado, let me read out his bio so you kind of understand who he is and what you're getting into, and then we will jump into my interview. Um, Sean Bonito is a passionate speaker and certified mentor to men struggling with unwanted sexual behaviors. With his own 14-year pornography addiction, struggles with erectile dysfunction, and ultimately sexual brokenness, he has been called to use his redemption story as a beacon of hope to those in similar places. Sean has had the opportunity to speak in various settings to men and women around the world. He's been a guest speaker and writer with Triple X Church, Braveheart, Husband Material, Family Life Canada, and many more. He and his wife were invited to Lebanon in 2019 to speak and educate on understanding the harms and solutions to pornography addiction. With a holistic, gospel-centered approach, Sean has helped men from all walks of life experience and live in sexual integrity. He's a strong advocate that true, lasting freedom exists in Jesus Christ, and we can all experience sexual wholeness that way. Sean runs Secret Habit with his wife, Helena. Together, they are on a mission to help men and women experience God's beautiful design for sexuality. Without further ado, here's my interview with Sean Bonito. So here's the million-dollar question. How are men like us who work hard, have good motives, and a God-given purpose supposed to fulfill the calling on our lives and the dreams in our hearts all while establishing sexual integrity, thriving relationships, and a meaningful connection with God? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Sathya Sam. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within. All right, well, I'm here with my good friend, Sean Bonito of Secret Habit. And uh, Sean, this has been a long time coming. You and I have been talking. Uh, we've been uh, really cheering each other on for, for years. And um, it's fun to just finally have you on the podcast, man. Welcome. Yeah, thanks, Athea. It is very cool to do this with a friend. That's for sure. Yeah, I totally agree. It's, uh, it's a niche area. And I'm, I'm quite grateful because we, we have some mutual friends as well in this space. And um, everybody's pretty down to earth. Uh, we're all kind of serving the same mission. We know there's millions of people who need our services so it's not super competitive um but it's still nice when you have somebody you can connect with and uh, i really really appreciate that about you man yeah absolutely i'll never forget us having a conversation on my road trip to, to nova scotia and that's how we finally connected and it's been you know weekly monthly talks since so it's super cool yeah that's well that's where i, where I was actually going to start is you and i uh, got connected i think 
I think this is when deep clean was just an idea. I don't, I don't even know if I had really put pen to paper yet or built a course or a curriculum. Um, but we got connected through a mutual friend of ours. He's the national worship leader for Promise Keepers. And uh, I used to play piano for him actually back in the day on his worship teams and stuff. And uh, you had a connection with him as well. So anyways, just a small world. But um, that's not what we're talking about today, man. Uh, you are doing some really cool things with Secret Habit. Um, there's, there's two things that always stick in my mind about you and Helena. Uh, number one is that you do this together. And it's not just that Helena is supporting you. I think all the guys who have ministries or businesses in this space like have a wife behind them generally that is cheering them on. And, uh, and we know that behind every great man is an even greater woman. Uh, but Helena is actually on the front lines with you. She helps other, other girls uh, work through their own issues. And that was one of the first things that really drew me to you guys. But the second thing, was that you had talked about erectile dysfunction. And uh, you know, like when you start to kind of get into this, the, the vortex that is porn addiction and everything else, it actually becomes pretty obvious that, that porn-induced erectile dysfunction is a major issue and it's not going away. Uh, like the prevalence is on the rise here. And when I saw you talking about it, I was like, number one, kudos to you. It takes a lot of bravery. Uh, but number two, like, thank you, because it's such an important subject. So uh, I hope you don't mind. I just want to kind of cut to the chase there. Um, we'll we'll kind of go right into it. Uh, for starters, like, why did you start talking about this particular area of an already very uncomfortable and kind of taboo subject? Yeah, well, thank you for sharing that. It's, it is a privilege to do this work with my wife, who's actually on mat leave right now. We have a, a seven-month-old daughter who will be yeah, eight you months. Do two days and that has been next level of me growing as a man and a beloved son. So, um, so yeah, thank, thanks for saying that, Sophia. But to answer your question, uh, I struggled with erectile dysfunction, uh, porn-induced, and then also the psychological um, erectile dysfunction, which for me was really devastating. Uh, mm. A lot of people talk about porn-induced erectile dysfunction. There's this idea that obviously the chemical changes and you know brain dysfunction that happens when you view pornography on a daily basis when you're constantly masturbating uh, it's very obvious that that leads to erectile dysfunction but i quit pornography and was feeling really good and was starting yeah. to help people quit pornography and i was still on a sometimes weekly basis struggling with erectile dysfunction and I just, I'm just going to pause you there yeah. for a sec because I think uh, so for us, it's super obvious why watching porn and all that stuff would maybe lead to erectile dysfunction. But let's let's just make sure we cover all our bases here. Why? Why is that link so so clear, or so obvious? Yeah, let's clarify that for sure. It's, it's so clear because when we look at brain research, brain studies, we see deterioration of parts of the brain that help us connect to another person help us trust another person. Um, porn, can porn addiction can often be called an intimacy disorder. And that really hits it on the head. Like intimacy disorder, that's going to lead to sexual dysfunction. It it's inevitable. But we can get into this more later if we want to. But just for starters, like dopamine being such a big chemical part of the makeup of even how erectile dysfunction happens. Um, basically, pornography usage continually uh, shrinks our dopamine receptors um, causes us to want basically fake doses of dopamine so that small doses from healthy things like sex with our wife or going to the gym or whatever could be healthy but not fantasy actually doesn't end up giving us the dopamine that we need just to get our receptors up to a level of functioning. So the, mm. the, the brain studies and everything behind that, I'm far from an expert. I wouldn't even call myself a researcher, but I've done enough reading. I've experienced enough of it myself where I can't help but believe all of it and yeah. share it with other people because dopamine is actually about anticipation more than it is about reward. And one of the things I was thinking about this morning that I wanted to share was if we're anticipating not getting an erection, things not going well, being a failure, our wife not wanting us, not being enough, rather than anticipating beautiful sex, our wife loving us, us serving our wife, then what do you think is going to be the result? Hmm. Wow. It's, in it's inevitable. It's an equation that just makes sense. That's really good, man. Okay, we are definitely going to get more into that. Because um, I think that's really important. But uh, you were kind of laying out a good framework there and I interrupted you. So, so carry on. You, t you talked about kind of having, um, I guess, like porn-induced erectile dysfunction, but then even um, just a little bit more of the classic erectile dysfunction um, as yeah. things go on. So, so please uh, continue, man. 
Sure. Yeah. So as, as I quit pornography, it was on my 25th birthday back in 2017. Uh, it was, it was within three or four months that my life started feeling radically different. Not to mm. say that I was this ultimate freedom by any means, but it's amazing how radically life changed in just a few months. Um, so I, I would say it takes, you know, between six and 12 months for a lot of people to have that recalibration of the mind or the brain. So I wasn't expecting just sudden results, but it was years after quitting pornography that I would still struggle with erectile dysfunction. It was mm. years after starting to help people quit pornography that I would still struggle with erectile dysfunction. And it was really hard. Like I'm this guy who's helping people and then I have this other struggle. And I never felt like God said that that was a, um, something to disqualify me. So I, I kept being obedient. But man, it was hard those, those nights when I would want to have sex with my wife and I, and I couldn't. And yeah. I would wake up the next day like, trying to pick myself up to coach somebody or something along those lines. It almost felt like the shame of watching porn. Like we all know what that feels like. Wow. Huh. So what, what basically happened was uh, there was a moment about eight or nine months ago where I realized like it was happening less frequently, more of like maybe once a month um, or it would pick up when things were more stressful in my life. And I don't want to blame it on circumstances. It was more the, awareness around how I take, take care of myself in stressful situations. But I ended up hiring a coach who helped me in this specific area. And I had never really done some of the deeper work around that. So I hired mm -hmm. that coach. My wife and I actually ended up going to a spiritual retreat for a whole week that really dug into our ungodly core beliefs, our wow. ungodly attachments, ungodly soul ties, uh, I think you're familiar with restoring the foundation, if I'm not mistaken. Cynthia. Absolutely, very. So, so, we, so we did a week long, one on one intensive retreat with a couple about three hours from where we live in their home, and it was intense and exhausting and incredibly <laughs> empowering. Wow. And that showed me the depth of my core beliefs that were faulty, ungodly, and not serving anybody, especially God. And it was the coach that I hired, it was doing this really deep work that made me realize that I have this real longing to be wanted and seen and desired. And that's really where I got hooked into pornography. But in erectile dysfunction, my core beliefs were that I'm not wanted by my wife unless I can perform well. I'm not mm. seen by her unless I do this. She had boyfriends before me that were better than me because I'm not doing this. And it was all wrapped around not being seen, not being good enough, not performing well. And like I said, like I was anticipating myself failing, which can only lead to failure. Yeah. Okay. That you just, you unpacked a lot there. So I guess my first question, just going back to get the timeline, right? So, um, you, you kind of, you, you're able to get free of porn around the age of 25 or you said your 25th birthday. That's a pretty good yeah. gift to give yourself <laughs> about a quarter century. Yeah. Um, and then I guess, are, are you married at that point or, uh, wh when did you get married, Sean? How old were you when that happened? Yeah. So that was eight months into marriage, eight months into marriage. Okay. Got it. And then yeah. is it like, were you already experiencing erectile dysfunction within the marriage or, um, when, when did it start to surface? Was it right off the bat or was it a, a couple months in, a couple years in? Yeah, yeah. Well, why don't, I, why don't I just share a really brief story of the timeline of my addiction and all of this struggle. So okay. saw pornography at 10, um, basically became addicted by, I would say, 13. I remember I had a software. I would, before school, download videos. I would run home after school so no one saw them and I would transfer them to a folder and my life became that. I would watch porn three, four, five times a day for hours and hours and hours. My parents had a TV downstairs. I had the computer upstairs and I just lived on that thing while they weren't around. So 13 mm -hmm. all the way up, you know, I, I think it was around 18 where I started getting sexually active. It was kind of a point where I, I actually had a lot of acne growing up and it was around that time where I, I got rid of a lot of that acne. So I started feeling more confident in myself and tied that with pornography addiction. I, I wanted to start living out what I was watching which is scary, mm. really scary. Yeah. Um, so it was around those times where I started realizing that like something with my body is up. So the, the first time, and this is before I, I was a Christian, um, which might come out in the story later we can talk about, but my story, 
before I believed that sex was for marriage. Um, <laughs> this was the first sexual experience I had, um, and I had delayed ejaculation. Um, there was also a traumatic experience that happened in that sexual experience that made my first sexual encounter feel very dirty. It traumatized mm. me around, uh, she was actually on her period, so I was traumatized by the blood and the right. scent. Uh, it was actually in a friend's bathroom at a party. So he actually knew we were in there and it made me feel unsafe. So this was incredibly traumatizing to me. But just wow. honing in on the erectile dysfunction, is it, it was the beginning of me struggling with delayed ejaculation, which is a big part of erectile dysfunction and the brain having tolerance and desensitization and all these, you know, chemical imbalances. We could go deeper into that stuff later. Um, but yeah, 18 was really when that stuff started. And it was time and time again, when I would have sexual experiences or sexual encounters, I would either have delayed ejaculation or I would go soft mid sexual encounter. And it was when I was about 19, this was when it really hit me had a girlfriend at the time, very attractive, and it was really a, a very toxic uh, relationship built on sex. And okay. there was this one time that we were we were having sex, and I went soft like immediately. And the way she reacted, as if she was like poison, or she was a loser or a failure. I had never felt that before, and the mm. devastation it caused someone else broke me and made me realize that there's something going on here um, and because it, it made me feel flawed it made me feel like a like a defective person because a I didn't get an erection as a 19 year old testosterone filled boy and b <laughs> I, I have no idea how to fix it I'm hopelessly addicted to porn and now I'm I can't have sex with a beautiful woman it was really scary and now she thinks it's her fault it yeah. was this horrendous situation. So fast forward a little bit. Um, when, I, when I did find the Lord, when I did become a Christian, uh, I did dedicate it to myself that I would wait until marriage to have sex. Um, that was an interesting experience all of itself. Yeah, um, but, but basically when I met my wife, Helena, um, we did wait until marriage to have sex. We absolutely blurred the lines and look back and just think, wow, there could have been so much more healing and vulnerability and opportunities for this stuff to not enter our marriage if we talked more than blurred the lines. Um, so yeah, <laughs> there's a lot there. But when, when we did get married, uh, I struggled with erectile dysfunction because uh, it was like I would watch porn in, during the, even in the morning, we'd, have, we'd try to have sex at night. And I felt ashamed. I felt embarrassed. I even felt mm. fatigued. Like, I, I don't have the penile energy to do this again. I don't have, <laughs> like, my erection doesn't even feel good again today. And yeah. it's amazing how that, that was porn-induced erectile dysfunction. So just really honing in, like, that's porn-induced erectile dysfunction. I watched porn. It then affected my marriage. I watched porn. I had chemical imbalances in my brain. But fast-forwarding, um, when I did quit porn, yeah, I, I would struggle, we, like I said, sometimes weekly, sometimes two or three times a week with erectile dysfunction from psychological issues, such as me, like I said, expecting something out of myself that I, I just feel like I can't give. Because like, my wife had a sexual past. She's, she's been traumatized. She, she used to watch porn. She used to masturbate. So there's a yeah. lot of her story where it'd be very easy for me to cling on to something and say, well, I'm, I know I'm not better than that guy at sex or... You know, she wants sex this many times a week. And I obviously I, I, I'm a failure if I can't give that to her. And all of these things, um, I'll talk about the, the healing because there was parts of her that were actually really unhealthy that were affecting me that we've now come to the conclusion of. Okay. Um, so I was actually believing lies about things that were unhealthy from her. It's like she was actually planting unhealthy seeds in my life. And I'll talk a little bit more about that when we get maybe into the marriage part of things. But that is really what was happening. Yes, it affected my marriage at the beginning because of porn, but then it affected yeah. my marriage moving forward because of lies I was believing, thoughts I would continually have, and, and this anticipation of failure. Yeah, wow. Okay, really, really good overview, man. And thank you for just being so open about the details as well. Um, Sean, how old are you now? I am 29. You're 29. So this is like, uh, you've been married for, for a while now, four or five years. And, um, and like, I want, I want people to hear that you guys are like, you just had this retreat, uh, this restoring the foundations not too long ago. Like, 
this we're not talking about some story that was years ago like this has been ongoing working yeah. things through for people who have struggled with erectile dysfunction uh, i was talking to you a little bit before we hit record i've had my own experience with it as well um it was july of this year and by far probably the most stressful month of my life i had just transitioned to doing deep clean full-time um, my wife and I were trying to make this move to Jamaica happen, so we had to rent our house out. And then she got in a car accident, and our car was written off, and we had to find a car to drive until we moved to Jamaica. And like, there was all these things going on. I was the best man for my brother and his wedding, and you know, like the list went on and on and on. And I was just stressed. And um, it was that first experience was really, um, I think, debilitating because it was like, no, 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 not me. You know, like not this is like this is an old man thing. Like I've seen those Viagra commercials. I know it's like the you know they were supposed to be at the movie theater and the movie's playing and the two seats are empty. Like that's it's the old people game. Like not me. You know, and like obviously I know that it's happening to younger people um, because of you know the work we do. But still, it was really um, it was quite shocking to have that experience. But then I guess um, I guess the other element of it is that um, it then becomes very psychological as you're kind of you're, you're hinting towards like you can really get in your head about this stuff the anticipation and then i think the fear as well of like uh you know every time that things start to kind of heat up a little bit in the bedroom you don't know if like if your package is going to perform right like you don't know what you're going to get out of the deal um right. So I guess I'm wondering, like, what has that looked like the last few years? You sort of, um, you talked about kind of the healing part of it, but um, have you picked up some things along the way that have helped you just to kind of calm your nervous system down and try to enjoy the moment? Or what, what does it look like for you? Because uh, I know for me, like, like I said, it was, it was a temporary thing and I was very fortunate to just yeah. learn to manage some of that stress. And obviously some of those situations just took care of themselves. But I'm curious, uh, in your situation, what did it look like? Yeah. So historically in my marriage with Helena, she would be more of the higher sex drive. She would be the one who's more asking about our sexual relationship. And, and that was a big part of my journey of being more vulnerable. So one of the biggest problems I see with men, myself especially, is that we often lie or hide things because we feel embarrassed. So there's this story I'll share, which is a prime example of how far I've come and a prime example of what it looks like to be vulnerable and open so that beauty can happen. So it was, it was Christmas day. I bought my wife a very nice necklace for Christmas. I bought it online, so I didn't have a chance to see it. She opens it up Christmas morning, and it just didn't look as nice as I thought it would. Uh, it didn't fit her very well. It actually flopped over, so it was upside down on her neck, and it was just not made well. I spent pretty good money on it, and I was really angry and, and quite frustrated, um, A, because I bought it for her, and it felt almost like a rejection, not from her, but just in general, and B, I was already thinking about returning it tomorrow on Boxing Day and wasting hours of my day going to the mall. Right. So I'm preoccupied with rejection, anger, and wasting my time tomorrow. I'm already thinking a day ahead. So we are having sex that day, a couple hours later, and she's wearing the necklace. And all I can think about is, I failed. I have to return it tomorrow. I'm going to waste my time. And I, and it was, I think it was like five or ten minutes, and I, and I can't get hard. I'm just feeling stress. And I finally just said, "Hun." This probably sounds stupid, maybe weird, but I really need you to take that necklace off right now. <laughs> yeah. I feel like all I can think about is returning it tomorrow. And she was so grateful. She said, oh, I didn't even think of that. Of course, no problem. Took it off and we had a beautiful time. Right. So that is me stepping into vulnerability. That is me telling the truth rather than letting the feeling of, oh, like, that's just silly. I shouldn't, I shouldn't be feeling that way, right? Those are the thoughts we often feel. Oh, like, I shouldn't bring work home. That's my fault. I don't have to burden her. Or, oh, like, that's embarrassing. So I'll very often just tell her, hey, hon, like, this email's still on my mind. Um, I journaled about it, but it's still there. I just felt like I needed to tell you. And sometimes she says, great, like, why don't we pray? Sometimes she says, mm -hmm. Sean, I, I just got ready for you and, and I showered and, and, and I'm ready to be intimate with you. And uh, now I feel rejected. And then that's my opportunity to comfort her yeah. and say that I, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for us. So there's an opportunity for both couples. And that's why 
Erectile dysfunction is one person's quote unquote problem. Like it seems that way, but it is incredibly holistic in the relationship. Like I said, my wife was actually planting negative seeds in my life that made me think I had to act a certain way to please her. And that was actually a thing from her traumatic past. And we've worked through that together. And that's something that we call a sexual template that we walk married couples through. Yeah. Okay. That's really good. So I think, I think the big thing there is like just the value of communicating and you, you hit it, I think right on the head, which is that guys don't like doing that. You know, like, like even the examples you're, you're giving, you can just kind of feel like for me, even I'm like, oh my gosh, like even to communicate that stuff in the moment, like the level of vulnerability and, and everything else that's required to just have that presence of mind and actually, you know, communicate those things. It, it really requires a lot. So um, you're an inspiration, man. I think, that, I think that's a really good example. Um, I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about the, the preoccupation side, just in a bit more detail. Because um, we were talking, uh, again, before we hit record, we were just talking about how uh, you know, if it's like, yeah, hi, I'm, you know, I, it's the classic, like, I'm Sean, I'm an alcoholic, I'm Cynthia, I'm a porn addict, or, you know, I, I have erectile dysfunction. Um, even just slapping labels on things can really become a psychological barrier for people getting the healing and the breakthrough that they need. Um, how did those, those things factor in for you as well as you've been kind of working through this? Yeah, yeah. It's so interesting how we see a lot of these step groups or even doctors, the medical field, really almost identifying people as something. Mm. I, I believe in porn addiction. I would say that I, I, I think even I'm guilty for that. Like I was a porn addict rather than I had a porn addiction. Right. right. It's very, it's very important for us to watch our language. So yeah, you're you even just you saying that makes me realize sometimes the language is, is something that I'm still working on. So I'm constantly growing. So whoever's listening to this, this journey never ends. And it's not because we're always struggling with things, but it's because we're always growing greater, deeper in sexual integrity and wholeness. So it's not like we're running from things all the time. We're actually pursuing things. And I think that's beautiful. So the preoccupation, that, that word is important because we can get preoccupied with things that really hinder us from living life and we end up just surviving. So for me personally, I, I have a pretty unique story. I won't go into too much detail, but I've actually had a lot of preoccupation issues with uh, physical problems in my life, erectile dysfunction being one of them. But I used to wear glasses. I used to wear like, like orthotics in my shoes. I used to not be able to wear dress shirts because my neck would feel too tight and my shoulders would hurt. And mm. it was because I was so preoccupied with a doctor telling me that I had um, flat feet that I would then live my life as if that I had to protect myself all the time. And mm. when I lived that way, my life was hindered from feeling free. I felt like I was always uh, less than other people. I felt weak and lacking confidence. And it's amazing how a diagnosis from somebody caused me emotional pain. And, and I always felt like I was just merely surviving. And, and why that ties to what we're talking about today is because I see a lot of people get diagnosed with some sort of physical penis problem and, and they're, they're, they're given some pills. I've even heard people get injections into their penis to get an erection. You know, yeah. I've heard these crazy things. I've, I've heard people um, had a heart surgery. I've, had, I've heard people have uh, prostate removed. And I believe that things physically can affect us. I'm not saying that I don't believe that. But what I'm saying is that I think a doctor can tell us something like, hey, you just had your prostate removed. You're going to have a real hard time getting erections because of this, this, and this. You know, what he's saying has some merit, but how much merit? Are we going to give what he said 80%, 90% power? Or are we going to choose to actually control our thought life and renew our core beliefs so that maybe that physical symptom or physical problem only has 20% power? And that's mm. really something that I've lived with. Like, I, I just see that so often. I had a guy reach out to me pretty recently in his 70s and said, hey, Sean, I had quadruple bypass surgery 10 years ago. And since then, I haven't been able to have sex with my wife without using Viagra. But since listening to your podcast with husband material, I've had sex every time, no problem, because I've been renewing my thought life. Come on. Wow. He's in his 70s. He had quadruple bypass surgery, and the doctors are telling him he'll need pills forever. 
<laughs> so I'm not just speaking from like my opinion. Like that's a perfect example of this guy saying, you know what? I believe there's something physical there, but it doesn't have to dominate my life. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. See, and I think that's the, like you and I are so big on this, but like that's what it means to actually get to the root of an issue. Because I even think about some of the work you and Helen have been doing, getting to some of those core beliefs, uh, really like like reprogramming the truth into your systems on a deeper level. Um, to me, like that's that's the solution all across the board, whether it's erectile dysfunction, porn addiction, or yeah. whatever else. Um, and I and I think that kind of example shows just how powerful it is. Like what we believe about ourselves. And even the people that we trust, it's always the danger with the medical world, I suppose, is like, of course, they're research-backed, highly academic, um, certainly worthy of trust. And yeah. yet almost any issue, when you talk about solutions and you ask, you can get a handful of doctors in either camp who say, oh, you should never take that medication. Um, like, here are all the side effects. Here's what's going to happen long term. Then you have another doctor who's like, oh, I swear by this medication. Like, it's definitely the way to go. Uh, so I, th I think you're raising a really good point there, which is that actually, like, what we're always looking for is truth, um, certainly above facts and everything else. Um, yeah. I I'm curious, Sean, like, you, you talk so openly about this particular issue, which, as I mentioned, I think is quite rare. Um, the stats are showing, I, I just read a book that showed, um, it was, it's actually written by the world's leading urologist, or one of them. And he said that I think it's one in every four men under the age of 40 now struggles with erectile dysfunction. Um, so 25%, which is, uh, which is up five times from even about yeah. 20 years ago, uh, where yeah. it was only about 4% of that, or sorry, 5% of that demographic. It's clearly on the rise. I'm wondering, like, are you seeing that in your practice with the secret habit? Um, do, does the prevalence seem to be going up? And um, with all the different experiences you've had, what are some of the strategies that uh, that really, really stick for guys who who are struggling and, and know that they need to maybe take some steps and get some help in this area? Yeah, yeah. The stats are they're there. Like, you know, your brain on porn. Gary Wilson writes like mm. over a 15 year span. I don't know. I can't remember if he says the dates, but he says a thousand percent increase, like Jeez. this astronomical number. And then he also, <laughs> he also cited this Canadian research, which we have some Canadians here. Um, 78.6% right. of men ages 16 to 21 reported a sexual problem during having sexual relations. Jeez. And typically a sexual problem is ED, delayed ejaculation or premature ejaculation, which are all revolved around the same problem. Wow. So, <laughs> so it's, it's there, man. Um, I would say that one of the other factors that we need to talk about is the fact that a lot of people avoid sex because they already know that they're going to fail. So when we say one in four men struggle with erectile dysfunction, that's probably the men that are attempting to still have sex. <laughs> Good point. There's been, studies, there's been studies in Japan where... I don't know the numbers exactly, but it's an, it's a high number of young men in like between 16 and 21 that don't even desire sex anymore. Wow. And that's, yeah. is, is that, that's presumed because it's porn consumption or, or what exactly? Yeah. It's from Gary Wilson from your brain on porn. So he, he's talking about it being porn related that we just have this sexualized culture where you don't quote unquote need sex when your brain is so caught up in Instagram all the time. And like we see porn on all of these social media sites anyway. So like a lot of people feel like they have their sexual satisfaction in what they already have. Hmm. It's so, so that interesting. That, yeah, it's an interesting stat because yeah, it's there. There's absolutely no doubt about it. And then even the other side, it's like, what is erectile dysfunction? Like, you know, someone who can't get a, a, an erection, you know, once, uh, once a month, maybe that's not a quote unquote dysfunction, but it still needs to be assessed and investigated. So yeah. even that term erectile dysfunction, just like porn addiction, might turn some people off and they wouldn't consider themselves to struggle with it. Yeah, yeah. Really good point, man. So um, let, let's say you have somebody who comes into the secret habit. They're like, Sean, that's me, bro. You know, I'm, I'm supposed to be in like the peak of my kind of sexual uh, part of life, my sexual development. I'm really struggling. Um, I'm in my head about it. So there, I know there's a psychological component in addition to just the physiological aspect. Uh, what, where do you start with somebody? What, what are some things that uh, maybe if somebody who's listening, you know, who's in that boat uh, needs, needs some help or they know they need to take a step, but they don't know what it is. Uh, what, what's their first step? Yeah, great question. Um, I'll speak for individuals right now. Um, a lot of the stuff can be done on one's own time, but 
just like most things that can be done on one's own time, they don't often get done or they don't get done as effectively because having a coach or someone to guide you is always a great idea. So the, one of the first things I talk about with a lot of the guys is ridding yourself of, of what's in the way. And I believe that as, as, as a Christian, that is very spiritual. So some of the main steps that I encourage someone to do and then help them with uh, first one would, would be fasting, like making space mm. for God to reveal what he sees. Like, and I always tell this to guys, it, it, it's so funny. It's like, we so often ask God what he wants us to do rather than ask him what he wants us to stop doing. Mm. Wow. Like we always want to do, 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 because we think we have to prove something to God, which then goes back to why we feel like we have to prove something to our wives. And then we struggle with ED. Um, <laughs> but if we actually ask God, God, what do you not want me to do today? That's, that's bold. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's different than what culture tells us to actually stop doing something. Wow. I like that. So when I, yeah. So when I encourage guys to fast, it's not just restraining from food. It's not just prohibition. It's spending time with the Lord in those moments. You would be meal prepping and eating and asking God those kind of questions. God, what do you, what do you want me to stop doing? God, what am I believing that is not honoring to you? God, what do you, what do you say about me? And, and those are very cliche things to say, but they're not cliche when you commit to something like fasting, they become very real. So that would be a huge encourager to anybody listening to this. You can do that on your own. Um, yeah. A second one is confession and repentance. Like we, we hear that we're supposed to confess and repent, but I, I saw this article one time. It was like, confession and repentance isn't the F word. Like it's a beautiful <laughs> practice that reconnects us with the father. And one of my, my second lesson with my clients is a biblical foundation. And it's actually us that separates ourselves from God when we sin when we struggle with something, we often think God leaves us or he doesn't want anything to do with us, but he's waiting for us to lavish us with love. But mm. we, he's not a puppeteer. We, we come to him and it's confession of repentance that does that. And one of my greatest joys is actually helping my clients understand how beautiful confession of repentance is. Okay. Okay. That's really good. Yeah. Some really practical things. Uh, fasting is so uh, undervalued and underappreciated in my opinion. I think there's, there's tremendous yeah. reward there. So that's really good. The confession part's really good as well. And I'm, I'm going to just tackle this from one more angle and then yeah. uh, maybe we'll get off the uh, erectile dysfunction train here. But I guess I'm wondering if you can just talk about or, or give some practical tips for talking to your spouse about it. Yeah. Because I think, um, I think that's really challenging. Like uh, that dynamic you explained with with the other person is very real. Um, where it's like they're thinking, like, "Oh my gosh, something's wrong with me. Like I'm not arousing my husband enough, or I'm not, you know, whatever." And I think we all like we know we know when we're the problem. Um, but I, I think the the range of communication is quite wide among men. Some guys probably have that comfortability to say, no, this is me. Um, you know, I know what I'm going through. Uh, da, 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 da. And some guys, it's like, you're going to shut down when you experience that. And it's going to be hard to just bring it up at all. And probably yes. a bunch of guys falling in between. But anyway, I guess I'm just wondering like any, any nuggets to give guys as far as having these conversations with their significant other. Yes, absolutely. So caveat, you need to be committed to your own sexual integrity journey learning about your story, learning about attachment style, learning why you get angry when XYZ happened because it probably ties to how your parents treated you. Maybe you were bullied. So that's so key because if you struggle with erectile dysfunction and your wife reacts with feeling rejected and then you go into isolation and feel like you know, you're licking your wounds, there's something in there that's unhealthy and your wife has is not to blame at all. Mm -hmm. um, but sure, she could respond differently too. And she has her own story. So the caveat to all of this is that we have our own stories and we all need to pursue sexual integrity, which comes from us learning about our story, where we came from, where we're going. And Jay Stringer talks a lot about that in Unwanted, which is my favorite book on the topic. So to answer your question more directly, uh, yeah. one of the things that I guide guys in is creating what is called a sexual 
template. And this is at the very end of the journey of working with me on erectile dysfunction. It's, it, there's usually about 16 lessons. So you can imagine there's a lot of other things to cover, like going through ungodly beliefs and attachments and renewing the mind through journaling and, and having a team of allies that are faithful, purposeful friends, even a triad. People talk about that idea as well. Yes. Um, so the challenge with working on it with your spouse or your significant other is there's this feeling of a weight on your shoulders because you're the one with the problem, quote unquote, the problem. Um, and then there's also a lot of times this defensiveness or this justification from a, a spouse or a wife. It's your problem. You know, you should deal with it. Or like, what? you know, I'm, I'm not doing anything wrong. And, and you might have a gracious wife that says, hey, I want to help you with this, which would be incredible. Um, but regardless of where you're at, this sexual template structure works because the caveat and context to this is actually, so I'm just going to play it out. Let's say my client, Joe, he is building a sexual template. Uh, one of the things that is part of that is going to his significant other and saying, hey, this is what Sean wants us to do because of XYZ results that we're just not having right now. And a big part of this sexual template that he's encouraging us to design is that we have one or a series of conversations with no defensiveness, with no justifications, with just listening, with curiosity, with grace and mercy. And if we can start with that, then we can talk about these topics because these topics can draw up defensiveness and justification. So um, first thing is with the sexual template is actually finding a, a, a goal and purpose between a couple in their sex life. Uh, a lot of people don't even really know why they're having sex or why they're, what's the goal? What's the purpose? It's just kind of one of those things they do and there's no real excitement around it or anything. So actually sitting down and talking about individually what is your goal? What is your purpose? And then together. And sometimes you, there might be some wonky things said, which is why there needs to be no defensiveness, no justification. The first step of the sexual template is really just getting everything out on paper. So once the first draft is done, you can visualize and see everything from a bird's eye view and start picking out the things that you want to create in your healthy sexual template. And a healthy sexual template is something that is only for you and your significant other. It doesn't matter what other people do. It doesn't matter what culture tells us. It doesn't matter because this is only for you two. And if you're both honoring God, satisfied in this template, then that is all that matters. And it really eliminates comparison and confusion and frustration. So that's so sexual goals and purpose. The next one is what, what are foundational truths that you either believe or need to believe so having a conversation about that like i believe this i don't believe this you you say this but i hear it this way and having conversations like that very openly and again writing all that down third thing would be what do you like what do you want what do you need actually talking about that in, in a very sexual manner what do you what do you like sexually what do you want sexually intimately emotionally what do you need and those are all different things. A lot of times we mix up wants and needs. So it's very important right. that we specify what each one is and give both people the time to share. And this one's really powerful because this one can draw up some really um, emotional reactions. You know, if somebody wants something the other person is just appalled about. It's like, <laughs> it, it's, it's just, it just needs to get out. So afterwards, there can be a conversation about, hey, like, I understand that you want that but I need this and what you want doesn't align with that. So how can yeah. we find a common ground? Um, next step is healthy expectations. Um, so talking about expectations, what, is, what does he expect? What does she expect? Some are good, some are bad. And that's how we weed out what are unhealthy expectations. And that was the biggest step for Helena and I is realizing, mm. oh, Helena actually has a lot of unhealthy expectations and I've been embodying those. So that was actually the biggest step for us was naming our expectations so that in our sexual template, we only had what was fair to expect. Because it is fair to expect certain things. Like, yeah. it's fair to expect that you will connect emotionally and sexually a few times a week. Yeah. That's totally fair. 
that to expect a duration of sex or a, a perfect number of sex or all these things, which that's how I was feeling just by Helena's posture towards it. And until we talked about it, I never really felt heard and she never understood what I was feeling. And then the last step of the conversation is where it, grace needs to be extended. And this one's really beautiful because it's like, hey, I'm still struggling with this. This is helping so much. But I realize that I'm going to need some time in this area. And I need your grace. I need your prayers. I need your love. I need your support. And that is such an intimate, beautiful conversation. And to, to have the whole template be built. And then the ending is where grace still needs to be extended, realizing that we're not perfect. We're always growing. We're always learning. We're always getting ourselves into more stressful situations if we're working or having kids or whatever. So the sexual template is really for two people to create, for them to have sexual union that honors God. Yeah. Wow. That was really, really good, man. Thanks for sharing that. And Great detail as well. I can just, um, I'm imagining myself going through that, uh, that whole experience. I think it's really, really powerful. And, um, and I will, we'll have to put, we'll, well, we'll definitely put some links in the show notes for your stuff. If guys do want to go through that with you, um, highly, highly recommend it. Uh, okay. I want to switch gears just for a little bit. Uh, we don't have tons of time, but, um, can you tell us a little bit about what it's like doing this kind of thing with your wife? Um, like I said at the beginning, you know, I think a lot of guys have a supportive spouse behind the scenes. But you and Helena have been front and center. Obviously, she's on a mat leave, so it's a bit different now. But um, prior to that, you guys were, were really going at this uh, together. Uh, you serving guys, and she was working with women. Um, for starters, I guess, most of the girls who are in this space uh, talk about betrayal trauma. I think there's a much smaller percentage who actually help women struggling with porn themselves. Was Helena doing both, or was she more focused on the porn addiction part of it? Yeah, yeah. So she was doing both. Uh, Helena is a huge advocate for betrayed spouses to actually go through their own journey of healing sexual brokenness because a lot of even how they got into a relationship with an addict is because of their own sexual brokenness. So <laughs> Helena believes in betrayal trauma, but she also believes in the bigger picture of healing sexual brokenness. And often that bigger scope allows a marriage to really heal in a, in a greater fashion um, yeah, I've just, I've just seen the women she's helped have tremendous results hmm. and the, the women she helped with pornography addiction, cause that was her own struggle. Uh, again, it, it's just really cool. One, one girl sent us a testimony the other day. She's just from Africa and, and, I, and, and I read the testimony. It was just really touching that my, that's my wife and it's, it's, I'm, I'm a very proud husband. Yeah. Yeah. I bet, man. I bet. What what is it like doing it together? Um, like doing the work part of it together. I think in general that's a fascinating dynamic when like husband and wife are working. You know whether they're running a church together or a business together or you know whatever. Uh, to me, I find that fascinating because you're literally like your lives are so in, intertwined and engulfed with each other. Uh, and then you go home and you're like you know there. It's hard to separate. Do you guys have boundaries for when you talk about work and when you don't and um, you know, I, I'm even just curious, like, what is it like on the male side knowing you have a partner who watched porn, uh, like a bunch of porn before you guys were sexually active and knowing that, that that's part of her past? What's it been like working through some of those things? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. I'm a very logical, analytical person. So for me doing this work, um, I didn't find out about Helena's pornography struggles or masturbation struggles or, or even her, her sexual abuse story until I had actually already quit pornography. So mm. I, for whatever reason, I, I, I think there's pros and cons to this. I, I have a very logical um, ability when I listen to Helena's story. Like she's my wife, so it's very easy to become very emotional about it. But yeah. I think God's given me a grace of having the logical part two where, um, of course, she was sexually abused. That's absolutely devastating. And that's different than her, you know, watching porn and masturbating. Like for me, it's just logical that she got into that situation because of her story with her dad and everything that happened. So for me, it wasn't much of a betrayal to me. It didn't feel like it hurt me or caused any issues, but the, the sexual abuse that she went through was, was really devastating and, and definitely hard. Um, mm -hmm. But again, this, this has 
been a, another part of my story where I talked earlier, like it was always Helena talking about our sexual relationship or sexuality in general. So that's something that I'm still growing in is even talking about the sexuality of her story and how that played out and all these things and how does that affect her today? And we're actually going through a training right now where it's a lot of our story, story healing. And we're, we're actually sharing very intimate stories together in this group and wow. it's something that we've never done quite this way before. And I've just been incredibly blessed at how it's so obvious that we've both healed and are still healing. But there are things that I'm saying that would trigger her for sure a couple of years ago. And wow. there's things that she's saying that I would not respond with empathy before. So we're seeing God's hand in that. And we're still constantly growing in that, like, Man, God's God's word says, you know, to love other people, we have to love ourselves. And sometimes we just don't love ourselves. And the other part of the equation just falls apart. Yeah. So I'm learning to love Helena by actually learning how to love myself better. That's amazing. Um, and she's on the same yeah. journey. Same journey, man. And then to go back to the other question he asked is, how do we work together? What are our dynamics? Um, so yesterday, a good example, I watched our little daughter for about seven hours of the day. So Helena could do some of our website stuff. And, wow. and, and that's kind of our dynamic right now. We don't have family around, so we don't have like the classic childcare. Um, when, when Helena needs to do something to fix up our website or build a landing page or something, that typically means that she either does it when Violet naps, which means she's working the entire day, or that means I take some time and give her that space. So that's hard as a quote unquote two person business, because you're realizing that it's not two people working on the business at the same time. <laughs> it's, not, it's not 16 hour days, it's eight hour days. We just split the hours. Yeah. So, so that's been challenging for me because I want to get things done. Um, but in terms of boundaries and whatnot, I am um, learning how to get better at this. I often want to tell Helena things that I'm learning or something that happened with a client. And I'm just really realizing that she's just not in the space while she's on mat leave to really internalize that and, and, and talk to me about it sometimes she is and she'll lead that but yeah. yeah that's a boundary that i've definitely um had to get better at meeting her her boundary um but we we love this work it's such a passion and a purpose in our life like we love working together um when we were with open door and even right now with her on mat leave we didn't work together as much as we wanted to and like we're just so stoked when she's off mat leave and is back into some rhythms that we can do you know two two on two coaching we can start doing disclosures with couples we can create a, we want to create a premarital course like we love working together because she is like visionary and she has this wondrous spirit and i'm just like get things done kind of guy so we work <laughs> so well together so you know sometimes there's the butting of the heads and then there's just this beauty that comes of it so we work together probably like every other couple does there's the great days and then there's the hard days but there's just this respect that we have for each other and i think that's really what's key is we both know that god's called us to this work we both know that we're gifted in areas and sometimes our nerves flare up we say things we wish we didn't say but we yeah. have a lot of respect for each other where we do repair and as parents that's our greatest mantra we live by is we're not going to be perfect but we are going to repair yeah, yeah. Amazing, man. You guys are such an inspiration, doing an incredible work. Your organization is called Secret Habit, and I know that people are going to want to get in touch with you, Sean. Uh, just tell us a little bit about what Secret Habit is up to going forward, because uh, you've just undergone a big transition, as you kind of uh, hinted at earlier. Uh, what, what can we expect from you guys going forward? And if people do want to reach out to you, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, cool, man. So yeah, so Secret Habit is just officially relaunched as of October 1st. That is me offering one-on-one -on -one coaching as of right now for pornography addiction, erectile dysfunction, and really ultimately sexual integrity. Um, I, I think it's Jay says somewhere in Unwanted, he says one of the worst places someone can be in is watching porn every three months or so because they justify it. They think they're doing okay. And my challenge to men is where are you able to grow in your sexual integrity 
Because that's what I love helping guys with. You might not be even an addict anymore, but the very nature of you not being free is hindering you from living out God's best plan for your life. So I offer one-on-one -on -one coaching that gets into the addiction, that gets into the dysfunction, that gets into the integrity. Uh, I have a six-month structure that I built that sometimes some guys go three months, some guys go 10 months. So I'm quite flexible with that, but I really believe uh, in a sweet spot. I've I've seen like six to eight months is really a helpful amount of time for guys. Sometimes with erectile dysfunction, I've had a client that only needed three sessions and he was feeling much better. So praise God that that happened, but I don't want that to be the norm because he probably still needed some deeper help. But he said, hey, I feel great, man. I'm done. Um, <laughs> that's what I'm up to right now. Um, Helena is planning to launch a self-guided program at the end of 2021 that's going to be for betrayal trauma and sexual brokenness for women. And that's going to be something that she can offer as she's still on mat leave because she can't do one-on-one -on -one coaching. So that'll be something that we're hoping to release late December. So it's right ready for January. That's going to be called Beneath the Skin, which we're really excited about. And then wow. she's off mat leave in, in February, which we're still praying about what that's going to look like. But we really, like I said, we really want to offer coaching where we're together helping couples. Uh, we want to offer full disclosure processes where the addict is sharing their addiction story to the spouse. And we offer support and healing for the journey before and after, which we just don't see that happening very often. And we see full disclosure as literally the, one of the most foundational pieces of a marriage healing together. So that's kind of what we're up to right now. Those are some of our visions and plans. Um, just launching a free webinar in the next few weeks coming up. So if someone wants to get registered for that, we'll have some information on our website soon about that. But getting connected with us, it's secrethabit.ca. That's our website and our hub. You can find us on social media like Instagram and Facebook at Secret Habit Ministry. And you can email me. It's sean at secrethabit.ca. So very easy to connect with us. Feel free to send us a DM on Facebook or Instagram. We have a chat box on our website. So we're really doing our best to make it accessible. And then we also offer a 30-minute free strategy call for people that want to hear more about how they can work with Secret Habits. So if you go on our website, there is some buttons you can click or a, or a book a session button that says get connected. And, and I'm happy to meet with you for a half hour, no charge, just to strategize and make sure that we would be a fit to work together. So I can encourage you and more importantly, equip you for the steps ahead. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Um, this has been so good. Thanks for sharing. I'm super excited for you to get to our VIPs now because uh, I imagine they got all kinds of questions. Your story was so powerful. So we're going to jump to that. Uh, I'm going to stop the recording here. But but Sean, thank you so much, man. Uh, this has been a real gift. And uh, I'm just glad we finally got you on the podcast here, man. This is awesome. Yes, I am so glad. It's an absolute privilege. And I'm just so humbled that my story can help guys. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's been a pleasure, man. Thanks again. All right. Well, that was my interview with Sean Bonito. Um, man, I, I, I just respect a guy who can be that open and candid about personal issues. And um, as you can see, like, I think I'm pretty open. Um, but I think some of the details that he was sharing, I, I was really feeling inspired. Like, wow, this guy's He's good, man. He's really good. So uh, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And uh, look, if you, if you were thinking, man, um, Sean shared some things I'd love to ask him more about, or uh, I'd love to even just hear more about his opinions on a certain subject, uh, that's what we created the VIP experience for. It's a chance for you to get uh, you know, like actual in-person interaction uh, or face-to-face -face interaction, rather, with our guests. Um, so you can sign up for that at, at our website. The link's in the show notes. Just look for the, the information about the VIP program. Um, and I'd really encourage you to check out some of the resources he mentioned, Unwanted by Jay Stringer, uh, Your Brain on Porn by Gary Wilson, and obviously uh, his own website. Um, they, they've been through a little bit of an overhaul with their own organization. And, um, and I'd encourage you to go check his stuff out. There's some really good content there. And obviously, like, you know, you can just tell Sean um, is a whiz in some of these areas and would be able to offer a lot of solutions. So if you're struggling uh, specifically with erectile dysfunction, I would especially encourage you to go to him. Hey, thank you guys for listening. Um, this is our first VIP interview recording of Unleash the Man Within. I had a blast. And uh, we are certainly going to do many, 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 many more of these. Um, so I hope you, you grab your VIP subscription. Uh, we'll talk soon, guys. Take care. Have an amazing day. Bye. Hey, everybody. It's Sophia again. Thanks for listening to Unleash the Man Within. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to me if you left a rating or review on your podcast platform. Now, I want to take this final moment to invite you to something that I'm really excited about, our deep clean VIP community. Here's the deal. 
we saw that in this space of manhood, sexuality, and faith, there are a lot of unasked questions. They range from relationships to sex to male anatomy, calling, career, and everything in between. We create a deep clean VIP for men like you who want regular coaching from me, VIP access to our podcast guests where you get to interact with some of the world's leading experts in men's health, a monthly seminar, and a community of men from around the world pursuing success in life and integrity in sexuality. Deep Clean VIP provides answers to your deepest questions, hope for a full recovery, and the necessary tools to make that full recovery a reality. If you're ready to take things to the next level, I want you to stop what you're doing right now and sign up for Deep Clean VIP at www.sathiasam.com slash deepcleanvip. The link is in the show notes, but let me give it one more time. That's www.sathiasam.com slash deepcleanvip. Thanks for listening. I look forward to connecting with you very, very soon. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast by Sathya Sam and his guests are for general information only and should not be considered medical, clinical, or any other form of professional advice. Any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk.